You are listening to highlights from One Planet Podcasts interview with Hans Brunix, Executive Director of the European Environment Agency. Well, the agency's origins stem from the late 1980s when Europe had developed quite a bit of environmental legislation. And a number of the countries had, of course, uh, national monitoring mechanisms for the state of the environment and for pollution. But there was no unified European system to know what the state of the European environment was and, and how all of these things compared between countries. And so the European institutions decided to start with an agency, the European Environment Agency, to bring together the monitored data analyze it, quality check it, quality control it, and make sure that it was, you know, at the service of the European policymakers to follow up what was happening in the member states. And so we started operations in 1994 in Copenhagen. And uh, since then, we grew to about 230 staff members in Copenhagen. But what is unique about the agency is that we work with the specialists and the organizations in all our member countries. Uh, and so we bring together a network of several thousand professionals on environment and climate and sustainability in support of the European uh, environment and climate policies. And in essence, we do three things. We work with data, uh, all, all of these uh, data flows on air quality, water quality, biodiversity, they end up in the agency and we make sure that this is quality data, that we can compare it and that we analyze how countries are doing against European policies. The second thing we do is we connect the dots and we, we look at, for example, how uh, patterns of mobility have an impact on air quality and how that has an impact on human health because that's how you connect economic drivers of environmental pressures to, for example, social issues like our health. And the third thing we do is we also work intensely with the research and scientific community. So we make sure that new insights, new knowledge uh, lands in the policy support for the commission, for the parliament, but also for the member state. In the meantime, we have, of course, followed up on uh, what the coronavirus means for environment and climate. So from March onwards, we looked at the monitored data on air quality and for some pollutants, primarily those linked to mobility in some uh, cities, urban environments, we saw drops of 50, 60, up to 70% of some pollutants and NOx. We also saw a drop in other pollutants uh, that, that are more associated with the energy system, for example. So that's good. But we, we cannot be naive and be joyful about the fact that closing down society is the solution to dealing with air quality. Yeah? So rather than looking at that as the solution, we should ask ourselves the question, what can we learn from this? Well, what we can learn from this is that if you make choices on mobility, you see outcomes. That if you make choices on certain activities, you will see 
biodiversity comeback also in an urban environment, eh? like the, the water quality in, in Venice, for example. Eh? So the, the questions of what can we learn from this that would be useful to conduct a type of policies that are not driven by locking down our societies, but by understanding the mechanisms that can lead to better outcomes. I think we can learn from that. I mean, I've always had this urge to explore big spaces and the outdoors and mountains and, you know. You from, sail as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it started long before I, I set one foot on a sailing boat. You know, I grew up in Belgium, densely populated. I, I cannot say that I was exposed to much of the outdoors, huh? but I had an interest in it. And when I moved to the US the first time when I was 18, I lived in Orange County, south of LA, not exactly the big nature place, but close to nature. And I was lucky enough to hook up to people who loved going into the desert and, and into the mountains. And so for me, that was formidable. And then when I was a student and I did interrailing in Europe, a month free train use, a lot of the people of my age, they went to the south. We want to go to Spain or Portugal or France or Greece the beach and warm weather and blah, blah, blah. That's all fine. But I, I had no interest in that. I took a map of Europe. I looked uh, to Scandinavia and I said, that's where I want to go. So the first two times I did interrail, I went to Finland and Sweden and Norway and I did hiking in the mountains above the Arctic Circle. And I, I just wanted to be outside and outdoors. And also in mountains in Europe, that was for me where my interest was and being, and it's still sort of part of who I am. I love being outside. I love the outdoors. And then through my wife, I discovered sailing and sea sailing some decades ago. And it's the same thing when you're on the sea, the forces of nature and some of the silence there is just formidable. So it's lovely. And those who think that the environment is external to us and as, as human beings, we have moved on and, and we, we are not so dependent on it anymore. Well, I invite you to, to sail through the night when you don't see anything else and you're exposed to only the sound of the waves and the wind and, and the vastness of it and the power of it. it it's a deep experience. And, and I think if more people would still understand that connection and be exposed at some level, it doesn't need to be sea sailing because that's irrealistic, but that we would maybe have a better foundation for people, more motivation to work on environment and climate issues. By training a political scientist, I'm a deep believer in the values of democracy, human rights, and sort of the, the, the system where where civil society and people play a key role in the discussions about society and also assuming responsibility, whether it's through labor unions or youth organizations or, you know. So no, for me, authoritarianism is not a solution, not at all, yeah. And I know there is some discussion about that, primarily when people refer to the Chinese context, yeah, where they say, look, when China decides something, immediately it happens and it's always large scale. And yes and no. Yeah. First of all, no, 
being an environmental activist in China is not exactly uh, a profession that is without risk, yeah, or a journalist that focuses on these things. And for me, that is unacceptable. I, I believe in, in these uh, human rights and, and liberal values when it comes to free speech and stuff. Secondly, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, be naive. China is also a complex country with a massive bureaucracy, with large differences between the regions in China, and with a massive problem of environmental pollution built up over decades. So they are now also dealing with that legacy and also with, a, with people that are questioning this. I mean, the legitimacy of, of the leadership also depends on how they will be dealing with the air quality in cities where you weren't capable of watching or seeing one kilometer far or where people were worried about chemical pollution in their food. Uh, think of the milk scandal and the baby food scandals. Water quality was you know, absolutely atrocious. So dealing with that, yes, but thinking that authoritarianism is the solution, no, not at all. Not at all. Yeah? So that is not the solution. I think one key solution at the level of society is more equality. More equal societies bring a lot of advantages. There is a ton of research on that. Yeah? And I think uh, that is a critical component to building a sustainable society. We cannot pretend that the current distribution of wealth on this planet between countries and within countries is a fertile ground for long-term sustainability. It isn't. It isn't. The concentration of financial power over the last three, four decades in a smaller group of people, relatively speaking, the disenfranchised bottom two, three deciles in a lot of countries, that is not a fertile ground for long-term sustainability. So we need to focus on that more than thinking that if we would have a benevolent green dictator that we would be out of the woods. We will not be out of the woods. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you would like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.